Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Cars.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. And welcome once more to the latest MotorWeek podcast. This is number 18, and I'm joined today by our road test producer, Brian Robinson. Well, hello, and welcome again to MotorWeek. And our writer, Shamit Choksi. Hi, John. And our associate producer, Ben Davis. It's a pleasure to be back. And coming up, we'll have our normal lightning round and our MotorWeek mailbag. But on the main feature of this podcast, we're going to be talking about hybrid and high-mileage vehicles. Now, recently we've all had a chance to get behind the wheel of some of the hottest new hybrids in the market, and just this week I had a chance to drive the first non-hybrid SUV that's actually rated at over 30 miles per gallon on the highway. So, let's get to it. First, everybody wants to know, what's your opinion of the third-generation Toyota Prius and the new regenerative now five-door Honda Insight? You know, this battle of the giants of the hybrid compact car business. Who wants to start? Ben, go I'll ahead. start? Sure. <laughs> I'm uh, very impressed with the new Prius. Beautiful body style, and I'm very excited about the fact that you can get um, radar cruise control. You can get um, parking assist. They're, they're just options that make the, the hybrid uh, a better choice for a broader uh, buyer's market. Do you really think the Prius is beautiful? <laughs> did, did he really say I, that? I do. I, I think oh, it's got, is in the eye of the hole. If it maybe he's got blinders on. If it wasn't a hybrid, if it wasn't what it was, the shape to me would be very appealing as a sports sedan. Well, the shape, performance car. it is the lowest coefficient of drag, which means better fuel economy of any car, I think, on the market. It's 0.15, I believe. It looks yeah, close. Ben, I don't know what you're talking about. It is I not think it could look like a tuner car. <laughs> to me. It could look like a tuner car. Oh, okay. Well, I. But what about the insight? Well, if we're going to talk about looks for a second, then I would definitely say the insight is just a smarter look. It, it looks, still has that kind of airfoil yeah, shape. Yeah, they definitely took that It looks that like look. a last year's Prius From a me. distance, it would be hard to tell the, the, which one is which. Yeah. Is I don't know, not from me. I, I just really like the look of the but what do you think about this battle between them? You've got the inside. Basically, you can get an inside with reasonable equipment on it for about $21,000. And the Prius, admittedly, it's got a little more equipment, and it gets about, what, four miles per gallon better fuel economy on the ratings for about twenty two, But you pretty much top out with the inside at about 24000 and you can go up to over $30,000 with a Prius. So when you look at the two, even though the inside's a little, a little smaller, you know, what's going on here? What are the dynamics? Is the Insight changing the market? Uh, I think it absolutely is. I mean, you have a car here that starts at just over $20,000. We tested it and got, what, two miles per gallon less than the Prius? That's yeah, only pretty, a couple. Yeah. That's, that's pretty insignificant. And I think most hybrid buyers, at least speaking from my standpoint, I mean, I'd be looking for economy, not just fuel economy, but the, the overall economy economy of the package as but, a whole. But which one's a better car? Ben? I think the Insight has a sportier cockpit feel. And it might be a better car for someone that just wants a hybrid for purely the uh, economic reasons to have a hybrid. Whereas the Prius, not only is it a great car for the average uh, economy-minded driver, but for the people that have adopted the Prius as a status symbol, yeah. as a which a lot of people have. Yeah, a lot of people that have the extra money to put into the elegant options, the options that is, they're going to make them day-to-day more comfortable. It's a better choice for them. 
Um, so you so, so, so you basically younger, have uh, if you're if you're very co- cost conscious, you've got the insight. If you basically want a little bit more car, you want the best technology out there at the moment mm-hmm. and be able to add some of the features to it but like you'd no like, doubt the and then it would be the Prius. And maybe if you're a little more of an autophile, maybe the Insight would uh, serve you better with the sportier copy. It's a very interesting, almost even balance. Brian, you haven't said much. Oh. I like the Insight as well. Uh, it's a little, it's a little smaller, not quite as practical or roomy as the Prius, but I think it drives a lot nicer to you know a little sportier ride. Yeah, I think it's going to come down a lot to uh, I hate to say it demographics. I think the older buyer may be more comfortable in the Prius because the seats now have been made much more comfortable. You can get more stuff into it. It's a bigger vehicle overall. It's and it still has superior technology and fuel economy. And the younger buyer that maybe is just more interested in, in making sure they're getting the most for their money and is very f- conscious of cost will look at the Prius. But there's one thing that's very clear. I think you all agree that the Insight coming in with a low price kept the Prius from being more expensive. Can't deny that. And I'm surprised with the Prius's system, which is a lot more technically involved than the Insight. I'm surprised the fuel mileage isn't even better than... And what it is. it is. I think we should revisit this when, when the Insight comes out with their next generation. Well, well, I'm sure we will. I think this is going to be a normal play. Plus, there's other stuff coming down the line that really, if you are in the market for a true car, not one that's limited because it's built to a cost or built uh, to just be a commuter, then you're talking about something like the more new Ford Fusion Hybrid. That's a beautiful car. Yeah, yeah beautiful which... Car. You know, it's it's twenty eight grand. There is some money back from the government uh, on taxes, uh, tax incentives. But here's a real full size, or I should say, a real mid size, five adult size family car. Comments and drives like a car too. They really did it up right too. They didn't uh, skimp on anything, even uh, the gauge cluster. The gauge cluster itself, I think, is a working piece of art. It's like a high def TV. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's got much more, much more visual than anything else that's ever been done, to my knowledge, in a car. This wasn't slap a couple of batteries and a motor in a in a vehicle and and put it out there. Revised a system that's been used very successfully by the Ford Escape Hybrid, but now with a little bit bigger engine, a little bit smaller battery. Uh, what impressed me is that you've got all the attributes about the new uh, for the 2010 Fusion, which people have talked about, great styling, well done inside. But you can order any option basically that you want on it, like you know heated seats, uh, a sunroof, uh, nav system, things that you would normally buy in that class of car. Yeah, I think that's the advantage of it not being dedicated. I mean, you're not. It doesn't feel as limited. You feel like you can blow it out to being uh, compares to a regular non-hybrid fusion. A direct competitor to the Toyota Camry Hybrid. Yeah, I can't say I would take it over a Camry Hybrid, but it's it's really close. I was really impressed with it, much more than I was expecting. Now, why, Doug, why it did you, get it wh- gets better fuel economy substantially. Uh, yeah, why wouldn't you take it over a Camry Hybrid? I mean, uh, to me, it's a significant boost in fuel economy, and that that is the underlying reason I would buy one of these things. It, what's the number as far as um, forty-one thirty-six versus in the thirty low thirties really, for the toy? Yeah, it's a big so, difference. Yeah. yeah, I know. I don't know what the range on that thing. But I was driving at the track and I was doing 
quarter mile runs for almost half a day, and I looked down and still had like a 600 mile range. Yeah, the cruising range is 700. And uh, John, you and I were talking about this. Some hyper miler got 1,400 miles out of it. Yeah, Ford ran a contest and they got 1,400 miles on it. That's ridiculous. I think that the one area that I think we we all sort of agreed when we were looking it over that it still falls a little short of the Camry is probably some of the interior fit and finish. The interior is very nice, and Ford's made big strides there, but I don't think it was up to Toyota quality. I think the exterior makes up for it, though. It's truly a beautiful car. It's a very good one. Okay, now I want to move to what I test drove this week, and that's the 2010 Chevrolet Equinox crossover utility. Uh, This is the first non-hybrid utility from anybody that will get an EPA highway rating of over 30 miles per gallon. As a matter of fact, it's 32 miles per gallon with the base four-cylinder engine and a six-speed automatic standard. Uh, I have to say, I've driven it yesterday. I was very impressed. First of all, the vehicle is a little bit smaller than before, so it's kind of like if you like a, a RAV4 but want something just a hair bigger, this would be the class. It's an in-betweener. It's smaller than midsize, but it's not truly compact. Two rows or three rows? It's two rows. Good They're going to do a third row uh, Chevrolet Orlando, even mm-hmm. smaller, uh, coming in about, I guess, a year or so. Uh, when you get inside, it's got that twin cockpit seams uh, design that we've seen on the Malibu and, and on the Camaro, but up a notch. Um, They've, they've put a lot of features in it available that you don't normally get for a Chevrolet, including memory seats, which I thought was pretty interesting. But they really think they're going to sell about 70% of it uh, with the four-cylinder engine. There is a V6 available. The impression I had was a little slow on the uptake. And when you really put your foot into it, you hear that very typical four-cylinder kind of gnashing of teeth a little bit. But it's muted, and it's no worse and no much different than a Toyota or a Honda four-cylinder. So in that aspect, NVH was very, very good. Um, the seating comfort was excellent. Uh, I didn't. I thought the turning diameter was quite large. We were doing drive-by, so having to do a lot of U-turns took up a lot of road. Mm-hmm. But that was about the only negative. Uh, it had a very cool rear hatch. We're used to seeing power hatches on a lot of upmarket vehicles, but not too much in the Chevrolet area. And this hatch had a, is programmable, so you, it'll open three-quarters of the way or all the way. So if you're in your garage, you can open it just three-quarters away and not hit the roof of uh, if you've got a low-roof garage. Uh, beautiful paint job. Uh, the second row seat still slides back and forth, 10 inches of travel for the front seat. If this is Chevrolet and General Motors' first new product, since the bankruptcy, it is a very impressive piece of work. And every journalist that was there came away pretty wild by it. The difference, by the way, for all these folks that insist on having a V6, 0 to 60 is 7.8 seconds for the four-cylinder, and it was about 8.7 for the six. So it was less than a second difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys have probably just seen uh, the auto show coverage and some pictures and yep. stuff of it. So any, was, any comments? Was the interior more Malibu or more Camaro? The interior is more Malibu. Right. Uh, it had some of the trick things from the uh, Camaro and the reason. Tell, tell everybody why you asked that question. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, no. Seriously. No, go. Well, when the Malibu came out, we were all you know, lauding how, how great the interior quality has gotten at GM. And then the Camaro came out. And we kind of took all that back. But. Well, some people did. <laughs> there, there was a general feeling with the Camaro that the production vehicles didn't live up to some of the show vehicles. Right. And, and I agree. <laughs> this was, these were production vehicles, and I'm sure they were expertly cleaned out, but they looked very good. The trim looked better. Um, there were very few hard plastics. They had storage nooks where you never dreamed to put storage nooks before. You can put a computer in the center console. Uh, it's deep enough.
enough for that. Um, Looks like they did a nice job. Oh, do you have a chance to get it out on the highway? Yes, we drove it. I drove it at the end of the day about 40 miles back to the airport. And when it was, we were doing 70 and uh, clicking along at about 29 miles per gallon. And uh, there was virtually no noise. Wow. No hunting has, for gears? Uh, or? No, 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 the transmission, no hunting for gears at all. We weren't on a lot of mountainous areas. It's Michigan. Uh, but they've got um, Buick-style um, soundproofing glass in the front windshield and also in the front doors. And that seemed to really do a good job. You heard a little bit of tire noise. It's got high, low rolling resistant tires, mm-hmm. but it comes with Michelin. So, you know, there was a lot. has a Pioneer stereo that's optional. So they... They seem to have looked. They looked very carefully uh, at the buyer and and looked at people that own RAV4s and CRVs and tried to come up with uh, a good response. And I think they've done it. You mentioned that it was the best mileage for a non-hybrid. Yeah, for a non-hybrid yeah, deal. Is, will there be a hybrid version or something? They they or? wouldn't really say. I mean, we really peppered them about what are you going to do with this two-mode hybrid system that you were going to put into the Saturn View because that powertrain can be dropped into all the larger uh, GM front-wheel and all-wheel drive uh, uh, SUVs like the Chevrolet Traverse, Malibu. All those vehicles can take that, and they were very very mum about it, but. Uh, one powertrain engineer basically did say, you know, there's a lot of work going on to adapt that technology. It won't be lost. And uh, even though they wouldn't speak to it, you know, like Ford's starting to put turbos on sixes and four cylinders, GM's going to be doing it too. They've all got to pull out all the stops. GM has put direct fuel injection now on the Equinox and, and its new 3.6 V6, which is widely available. And that right there, they are the only domestic manufacturer to embrace direct fuel injection. Really, it's them and the Germans. And that's about good for like a one mile per gallon fuel economy gain right there, which is a big deal. But they've now got to go beyond that. And we're going to see a lot of turbos, I think. Yeah, sweet. Okay, since I pretty much dominated that conversation, let me go on to our lightning round. And we've got a question here that I'm going to throw out here on the board, and we're going to let Michelle Parker, our producer, hit the old bell when we come to the uh, – a little louder than that, Michelle. I'm going deaf. There you go. Much better. Uh, As we get ready to uh, uh, get to the end. And all right, here's the question. Now that General Motors has declared bankruptcy – when it comes out of bankruptcy, and we all know Pontiac's going to be discontinued at some point, and Hummer's been sold off, and Saturn. Saturn's been sold off, when they come out, do you think they're going to be able to go head-to-head on a global basis, and maybe even the United States, with Toyota for sales leadership? Both companies now in the U.S. are going to be about the same size, and actually in the world, in some markets in the world, GM will actually be larger, some smaller. Any comments? What do you think? The, how do you think the new GM is going to compete i think it'll do well but i think it's just been so much bad publicity it's going to take them a while i think uh, you know maybe toyota might have the upper hand for a while except right now toyota sales last month were off much worse than gm Mm -hmm. or chrysler but that could be just uh incentives people looking for bargains yeah Yeah. 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 ben take it up um i think if they get their cost down to a competitive level with uh, the the japanese market or uh, other markets in general and um Get, uh, get their costs down and um, maybe different agreements with uh, labor, then if everything's on an even keel, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they're going to 
offer for sale. We've all seen big improvement in their products in Absolutely. the last 10 years or so. Should I mean, we? they're going to restructure, obviously, but I think they, it needs to be bigger than that. I think they need to change their overall philosophy, their ideology as a, as a company um, to compete with Toyota and Honda. Expand on that. Well, I mean, from a corporate standpoint, I think that, uh, and this may never change, I mean, American car companies are based on quarterly profits. Oh, that's the American way. Yeah, and whereas, you know, Toyota and and Honda and and these uh, Asian companies look forward 10 years. You know, they're not worried about what the, the earnings are, uh, at least not as worried about it. So uh, there's going to be ha- there's going to have to be a little bit of shift for the, that for them to actually compete for the long term. Sure, they might come back and and compete well, but what happens five years after that? Uh, that's the big question. But I guess now since the government's going to own the majority of stock, maybe they won't be quite so interested in the quarterly dividend. Mm. Dividend. I don't know. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, time will tell, but I, I I have to remain positive on it. Okay, uh, we're now going to go to our question, our mailbag. Now, remember, folks, if you've got a question that you'd like to have answered on one of our podcasts, go to our website, www.motorweek.org, so motorweek.org, and you can submit your question. If you're chosen, you'll receive a free MotorWeek T-shirt. Whoa. Be the envy of all Be your the neighbors. the envy <laughs> of all the world. Here's our question from um, an area near where we do a lot of our winter testing, uh, Tybee Island, Georgia. And Jim asked, recently many tire guys, including our own Pat Goss, I should say, have been recommending using nitrogen to pressurize one's tires. For this, a lot of companies are charging extra money versus good old compressed air. So what are the pros and cons of using nitrogen, and what happens if you need to add nitrogen but only air is available? Brian Robinson, I'm going to let you tackle this first. Uh, Well, you can definitely one-up your neighbor if he's just uh, sporting regular oxygen in his tires. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm not 100% sure, but I think regular compressed air is already 70-some percent nitrogen. So you're only replacing the additional 20 or so percent. Uh, I think it keeps keeps the pressure from fluctuating as much. And with temperature. When, with temperature, yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to check your tire pressures every uh, couple of weeks like you should anyway, I don't really see a, a that great of a benefit. But if you but wanna, most people don't. Yeah, if you don't want to think about it as much or fool with it. Step up to the nitrogen. Sure, yeah, right. and and if you put uh, add a little air to it, it's not going to hurt anything. It'll basically decrease the advantages of nitrogen, but it's not really going to damage the tire. Ben, you have any comment? Uh, I'm going to stick with the oxygen camp because I'm rolling on 35, 1250s, and I can't afford to fill those with nitrogen. Now, some tire stores actually will add nitrogen for free, so you might want to do a check on that. And as, uh, We've heard that at least one big box chain does it, and so look around. You might find a company that is uh, willing to do that and not charge you any extra. Shamid, any comment? Uh, you no, have I a mean, car with tires? I, 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 I do have a car with <laughs> my My car does have tires. Uh, let me ask you this, because I, I know very little bit about this. So the climate, if you live in a climate that right. changes a lot. Or like, has, well, well even we, here, like we have okay. 60-degree swings all the right. time. Yeah. So we have these wild swings. So right. that's where this ni- nitrogen is going to help out, correct? correct? You can get yeah. a you know 2 or 3% you know, drop from a, like an 80-degree summer day to like the next morning, a 40-degree morning sure, or whatever. Sure. And with a sensitive TPMS, that's that's going to be a headache. That's a very good point, the new tire pressure warning systems, because if you even go down a couple of uh, PSI, they can be triggered. Well, it's, it's funny that you said this, because we literally have 5,000 miles on a car right now, and the TP. Uh, the TPMS has, has gone off. So, And this just happened yesterday, so I haven't had a chance to check the 
uh, check what's going on, but that's... Well, hopefully you don't have a leak, but I mean, that is very true. A lot of these tire pressure warning systems or monitoring systems are very, very susceptible to a very small change in air pressure. So nitrogen makes even more sense. I say go for it, Jim. And that's about it for our uh, podcast number 18 for Motor Week. Uh, that was a great round for everybody. Thanks very much to uh, Brian and to Shamit and to Ben. And thank you for joining us. And please be sure to join Motor Week on public television and speed every week. I want to give special thanks, as we do every podcast, to our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, to our podcast creator, Bob Mixer, and to our one and only podcast producer, Michelle Parker. Until next time, be sure to join us. I'm John Davis. We'll see and hear you soon on Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by Cars.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.